I guess the question is, will the cameras cut the Taylor yes, Swift yes, during the Usher will. performance? Of course it's, they will. Usher is a sideshow. Like pe- the people would rather see Taylor standing in her suite looking at whatever she's looking at than see Usher. Oh my gosh, we're in person. We're in person. We're together. It happened. It turned out we know each other. Shazam, we're Shazam. here. We're and what is Sam wearing? Well, let's not talk about that. What, I mean, let's, let's get into, I think we, we should say we're not, it's not just us this year. Well, first, welcome to another episode of More or Less. As promised, we're bringing this episode to you from a conference on the slopes of the Jackson Hole Ski Mountain, a conference called Lesson Fest, and we'll just leave it at that for now. But we are very excited for the episode this week. We have a lot to cover in tech news, and we have some special guests. So without further ado, special guests will play well, on the music. Okay, first we have creator, filmmaker, Wearer of sunglasses, Casey Neistat. Twelve and a half million YouTube followers. This is our fifth wheel, and today we actually also have a sixth wheel. Welcome, Ricky Bambi. Thanks for joining us, guys. If I could just paint a picture for the listeners at home that don't have the um, optional video feed, we're sitting in the corner of a hotel room. We have two microphones, none of which are pointed at our mouths. Um, we're using the house lights as lights, and we have six chocolate-covered strawberries on the table. Is this insulting to you as a filmmaker? This lady? it hurts me so much. It hurts you so Can I point much. out that the six strawberries are for the six of us? It's really? kind of that a perfect is, thing. Yeah. Crazy. When you're a guest on our show, we treat you like Clearly. royalty. <laughs> <laughs> royalty. Well, um, thank you for that scene setting, Casey. Yeah. And thank you guys for being here. I know you're avid listeners and fans well, of the pod. I actually have a question for you guys, if, if I may. You may. Right. You okay. may. Because yeah. I've, I've been wondering this. Which came first? the title of the podcast or the idea to do a podcast? Like, were you like, we have such a great title. We have to do a podcast. It's definitely and, the title. Yeah. It's only a title. Ding, ding. Okay. Because I wonder this because a lot of times, like I, like when I used to read movie scripts, like one time I read a script called Sweet Child of Mine. And it was, the plot was a baby was conceived at a Guns N' Roses concert and they need to find the dad or whatever. And I was like, oh, this was like a title. And then they're like, oh, let's make a movie. We got a great title. And, and I thought the same thing about your podcast. There's, a, there's another story about titles that I, that I always think of, which is, I don't, I don't think it's apocryphal, but it's a piece of Hollywood history, that The Hangover was passed on by a studio because they couldn't get the title What Happens in Vegas, which was an Ashton Kutcher movie, came ah. out like a year later. So titles are so important. And I think this is such a great title. You would be fools to not do a podcast. What do you think about the title Less is More? I don't like it. Okay. Mm. So we are sticking with the current. Yeah, because this isn't less is more. This is more or less. Like it's, 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 yeah. it's a choice. It's, it's, it's a, a choice. premise. It's a title and a premise. 
It is. Yeah. And we definitely stick to the premise in 100% of our episodes. Very <laughs> Yes. <Okay. laughs> so to all of you out there, we are going to spend the bulk of our pod today talking about something both these guests are experts in, which is the future. Wait, wait, wait. We, we <laughs> just had someone knock at the door. The seventh wheel is here. Is more be? strawberries? Please more. be room service. Please be room service. Mr. Beast is here. <laughs> Oh, was that, the, was that a turn down service? <laughs> we should have, we should have we had them in. Yeah, absolutely. Should we bring her on? Yeah. Yeah. Tell her about her. You can, you can I, I, think that, I think she might. Yeah. <laughs> we need to get her to like, sign a waiver. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, what we're talking about? I was talking about the, what, what we're going to do today. I like to give people a roadmap. One of the points of feedback is that people want a little more of a roadmap. So, we're going to chat a little bit about some of the big headlines in the news. And then we are going to get into the future of creators, celebrity, fame in this moment. We, we can talk about AI or not. And of course, our bridge to this is, of course, the Super Bowl oh. and Taylor and Travis. So I will connect those things as a preview. But what we really want to tap these two brains on is a theme we come to time and again in this podcast, which is how is the world of creators changing? How is the world of media changing? And what, like both as consumptions of that, consumers of that information, but we have a lot of creators who listen to this pod too. What is working in this moment? What are the strategies? Or how people that, that invest in creators. That sounds fantastic. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. Great. Would you have liked me to email that to you before no, this No, absolutely moment? not. <laughs> okay. I think there's a real lack of spontaneity in the podcasting space. Yes. <laughs> it's always welcome. It keeps things fresh, okay. spicy. Okay. Well. All right. So what happened in the tech world, Josh? What happened in the tech world this week? Well, we had a big decision related to in the Muskverse that Tesla shareholders sued Elon Musk over his pay package. And the Delaware court said, you're right, shareholders. You, Elon Musk, cannot make that much money. The company has not adequately defended that level of comp. So I think this is kind of interesting because we've been tracking power of Musk Inc. for some time. And uh, I don't know what you guys think. Is this a sign that there's some like chinks in the armor or, you know, are we still going to be talking about Elon Musk? Well, I think three years two, two things can be true at the same time. One is that... There's no quite that basically the, it was pretty incestuous board decision, right? And the independence of the directors, et cetera, is pretty obviously a challenge. And especially when you're giving someone a $50 billion pay package. Two, I think this is the other interesting part. My bet is, is that if you told Tesla shareholders that you're right, too much money, let's unroll, go back to that decision point. Would you like Elon for $50 billion or not Elon $50 billion? That if they just had to replay it, they'd say, sure, give Elon $50 billion. This thing's appreciated dramatically. It's just a small tip off the top. And I'd rather lock it in and make it happen. So it's, it's a hard one, right? Because I think it's a ridiculous... The, the process was clearly broken and like clearly was an inside deal. But on the flip side, I think if you ask most shareholders... It's actually been fine for them. It's good for them. Well, there's some shareholders who were. Well, yeah, annoyed. but they're, 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 shareholders will sue about anything, right? They're, they're, yeah. they're, someone's going to come up with a lawsuit for anything, right? It doesn't, I actually think, you know, again, if you did the counterfactual and you said, would you like, we go back to the date, would you like Elon in? It's going to cost you $50 billion. Or, you know what? You're right. That is too much money. Let him leave and let's just see how this plays out. They say, no, 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 we'll, we'll take Elon based on I thought game. you were going to bring up, tie it to your favorite theme of governance and how. Oh, well, governance, yes. That yes. is my favorite theme. 
Yeah. Governance is fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's a nonprofit board that was overseeing the corporate board. Well, no, I just think that's, that's as you guys know, that's the theme of the year. It's Harvard, it's OpenAI, it's FTX. I think it's even, yeah, absolutely. But it hasn't thing. come for Elon yet in a big way. So and I guess that is. is the question. Should we ask our guests what when they was, When was the compact initially agreed upon? A while ago, I believe. Unless, well, we'll check. Let's check. We can do that. This is good. For that. This it's, is good. As you know, yeah, I believe it's 2018. Yeah. Thank you. Then, yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. It's like he fucking delivered. What do you want? Yeah, well, it's even like, even not only did he deliver, it's like, would you, if you played it again, take the risk of him not being there and see what happens? Right. Could right? anybody else have executed like, the same? The answer is maybe someone could have executed the same or better, right? There's a lot of Elon show that might not, Don't but you Elon would you take the risk? Stayed in the game at 40 billion? I mean, would you think he would have stayed in the game at 30 billion? Well, I just think that like the question in my mind is on the flip side is like if wouldn't the same shareholders sue about thirty billion or forty billion? It doesn't like it's just a random, it's just a large, ridiculous number. Like it's not like it's 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 a large number. Like it, you know, I bet they could you could sue over ten billion. Like they're all ridiculous numbers, right? The question is like you want the guy in or you want the guy not in. Does this give precedent to other CEOs of his stature that are going to do this as well? This is a good question. And how many startups aren't going to incorporate in Delaware going forward? Well, that's a good. Is, it'll be Nevada or Texas. Yeah. Is I don't. Where, I don't know. Is what I mean. That's what Elon's pushing. And if you're a startup founder, you follow Elon. Maybe you, and you have the choice. Maybe you'll you'll do that. Yeah, I think the the if as. I'm not an expert on this, but as I understand the story, it's less about the number and more about the process of approving yes. the number. So I think if you're a CEO right now and you're doing a comp package, you probably want to make sure that it's completely buttoned up according to the Delaware Chancery Court or whatever. Uh, it's probably gonna, that's probably going to be the biggest impact. Yeah. And I will say it is funny. Delaware keeps fucking Elon, right? Like Delaware is why he had to do the Twitter thing. Right? right, they sued him into buying the company. Yeah, it's and but the, on the flip side, it's because Delaware has the most robust corporate governance. Like that's like the whole point of Delaware, right? So like it is on one hand, it's kind of funny it's the, that the state of Delaware keeps fucking Elon, and on the other hand, it's like obvious because Elon keeps playing with the lines of extremism around um, around corporate governance, and they're like the last line of legitimate defense. Yeah. Okay, we can say watch this space because I think it's gonna be interesting, and these are the right questions. One more headline before we we go deep. Amazon, after trying to buy a Roomba, uh, iRobot, the maker of a uh, portable- We own Roomba. Of, and how would you um, describe it? Vacuum oh, cleaner doesn't do it justice. Robot vacuum. It's a robot vacuum. And they have a robot mop too, by the way. Oh, we invested mom. in these heavily during COVID. That's on your shoulder. So just decided amid a lot of scrutiny from the EU and- according to the information, the FTC in the US, they said, no, thank you. We will not buy this vacuum company. I don't think this matters one iota to Amazon, but obviously it kicked off a big wave of how can we do business in a world where- Well, and even, really just like, how to get business to like lay off. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but following Adobe and Figma breaking up, obviously- I think Aaron Levy on Twitter or someone basically said the point, like there, there just is no, everyone's made this point. He said it pithier, but like, there's just no ability to do any acquisitions, period. What do we think? Yeah. I mean, obviously this is going to increase, uh, this throws even more cold water on the uh, acquisition ecosystem. I mean, across the entire venture capital ecosystem, I think this is just 
not great for innovation. Um, I think there's going to be entire categories where people are going to be asking questions whether they should even start companies. And that seems really suboptimal. Maybe. So the third major thing that happened over the last week, of course, was that with the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers, thanks for the hat, Dave, (laughs) headed to the Super Bowl, we have Taylor Swift in her first year in the NFL going to the Super Bowl. So this is huge. But if I may be so bold, I think the real winner of the Super Bowl 2024 is going to be Usher. No. And here's why. Here's why. <laughs> Halftime performer. He's got the most eyeballs ever on him. He's got the suburban moms and their teenage daughters watching the game who otherwise didn't care about football, but then maybe the mom remembers she actually liked Usher in like the late 90s, early 2000s. He has a renaissance and this like sets off his career for the next few years. But okay, I'll take the counter. The base case is that people watch the halftime show of the Super Bowl, right? Everybody's kind of yep. like milling around, maybe get some chips or whatever, but everyone, everyone watches it. So he would already have that without Taylor Swift. With Taylor Swift, he is now the second most important musician in the stadium Almost that so day. Almost so now. He's probably the 10th most important. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, it takes away, like he's a great artist. He's like, and, and people are going to be focused on like, I guess the question is, will the cameras cut the Taylor yes. Swift during yes. the they Usher will. performance? Of course it's- they will. Usher is a sideshow. Like pe- the people would rather see Taylor standing in her suite looking at whatever she's looking at than see Usher. Like while Usher is performing, people are like, please cut to Taylor. Please cut to Taylor. <laughs> and if they cut to her and she's on Instagram, it's just not a great look. What if they do a deal and she does a little, she does a little impromptu appearance? Yeah, if she like does, if she like no shows chance. up on stage with no Usher, way, no, no way. chance, no way. Of course she'd never do that. I'm just, you know, I'm a spitballing here. <laughs> We're trying to but, save Usher's career. <laughs> so, Ricky, you have views also on like what this moment means for pop culture more broadly. Yeah, I mean, we were talking earlier. It's like. It's the Super Bowl of Super Bowls, quite literally. I think it's like the maybe the biggest pop culture event in a decade or two. It's and and I think Taylor Swift has achieved this like cultural escape velocity where she's so and every, we all know how big she is. Like she's the biggest thing, but she's so big that the bigness is an attraction in itself, which makes her bigger. And she's basically a black hole. Like <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Good analogy. Or, yeah. Casey, what do you think? Like when you watch what's happening? I mean, I think that the spectacle of Taylor Swift is unlike anything I've ever seen in my life as someone who pays attention. And I was at the Bills game and I was in the suite next to her. And it was unbelievable. I think the most remarkable thing I saw was there were more signs in the audience that said Taylor or cutouts of Taylor Swift than there were for any other athlete or either team. Wow. Did they, did they take seats and like unscrew them and yeah. flip them around for yeah. people? So people, people tried to get, <laughs> so to get, get a little granular, Taylor had our security team obviously blocking the insides. So you can get near the, And then on the outside, it's these big glass windows. And then she had her security team, but the crowd got so big that it became that the sheriff's department had to come and create sort of this crescent wow. shape around it because there were that many spectators with their backs to the game just looking at her looking at the game. This is kind of crazy. It I was mean, wild. I think it's and it was wild. freezing you know, you know, too, this, right? There's this joke in the San Francisco 49ers stadium about like, there's this like, special suite that's really expensive that's always empty. And it's like an embarrassment that like in the mid, the 50 large line, like the seats in the best games are always empty because it's like really rich people who don't actually show up. It's like the only thing worse for like morale than having a bunch of empty seats <laughs> is like if people are actually like at the game and looking into the yeah, stage. Right. <laughs> so 
I have a lot. Of, there's like logistics questions, like how. I mean, how is this? Not that you guys are experts in security, anything, but like, how do we think this will play out? Is is they're gonna have to like carve off a piece of the? I mean, I think the Super Bowl is so used to having every famous person. I don't think that's the issue. Okay. I think that I think they're used to that. The issue is like how much. TV time do they give her? Right. And that is negotiated ahead of time. There's no way there's an operator in the control room being like, and camera yeah. three, and to Taylor, three, two, back to the game. <laughs> like, there's no way. Is that really pre-negotiated by her, like, I, her Taylor's I, team is like, no. I, I bet no. she's not involved. No, no, no. I bet it's the producers of the game. They're like, how much of her do we want to show? I saw somebody did an analysis, and of the five hours of football and the playoffs, they only showed Taylor for 109 seconds or something like that. Yeah. Which is, you know, given the scale of how strong everybody's reacted to this. It's Can you so bet deep. on like how many seconds of airtime she? Like this is like a real opportunity. Oh, What's the over like, under? That's like so, or like or like how many times? Like she's gonna be cut to her three times in the third quarter, mm-hmm. right? I guarantee you. There's got to be a market. I bet that. the Swifties have a poll. I'm gonna find it and I'll I'll send it. We'll put it in the show notes. I want like I think if you really want to make the biggest thing ever, I meant the website. Sorry, I meant the website where you can gem on this. Either for money or not for money. What does it mean for football? Like, if we think of her as just the ultimate influencer here, we're among influencers. Like, well, what is this our friend Charles Porch was yeah. was making the point that it's made football more international for the time being, at least. I think that that's one effect. I I, I went to that Buffalo game with a, like a, a prominent businessman, and it was me and a handful of professional uh, NFL players. And that question came up in the car as we were waiting because we had to stop driving to the stadium because Taylor's motorcade was going by. She has a motorcade? Police motorcade, the whole thing. And the players, the three that I was with, they hate it. They hate it. They're, she's, they're, like, they're diluting the sport. They're distracting from the sport. We're in this for the athleticism, for the sport itself, the competition, and she brings none of that. And the businessman who was in the car, he was like, it is the most brilliant, amazing. How can you possibly bring an entirely new demographic to a sport and do it overnight. And yeah. this Taylor Swift has done that. Could not agree more. I think that you it, it's probably arguable that since the brain injury problem that really diminished the NFL's brand, I think, no single action has brought a larger new audience into the NFL, maybe maybe in NFL history. I mean, so from a business from the business case, like you just can't be down on it. So but what's in it for Taylor? Because like she's she's potentially adding billions of dollars to the NFL. This conversation, yeah, more yeah. or less. She was she wanted yeah. to get us to talk about more. Uh, <laughs> yeah, less. Yes. I mean, literally the first time ever we talked no, about Taylor Swift friendship bracelet. <laughs> like I, I, you know, people try to describe all these mode, these dark mode, and I don't think it's that. Unless it's like, it's I, dark. I'm no, saying, no, no. But if I go to the NFL, I'm like, hey, I'm going to make you a few billion no, dollars. No, I, I, I think it's million. all positive upside for her in ways we can't imagine, but I don't think it's intentional on her part. And I, I don't want to imply that, but it, but it is, so she's not, I don't think she's doing it for that reason, but to, to, if you can be an, as an individual, you can change the NFL. Mm. Like it's, it's, it's a shield. That is an immovable object. <laughs> the NFL is this monster, this fucking untouchable monolith. And this girl comes in and completely changes it. In one season. I just like the idea of her going and being like, I drink your milkshake. And everything's the <laughs> final move. She's like, now the NFL is mine. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's zoom out. We can always come back to Taylor, but let's zoom or out not. too. Or not. Everything yeah. always comes back to Taylor. Yeah, everything Everybody comes back to Taylor. <laughs> admit that. But, okay, does this say something broader about influencers, celebrity in this moment? One of the questions I have is we are seeing 
the mega, mega, mega star, which is kind of like the opposite of a long tail of influencers, which we thought the internet was going to create and enable and has created and enabled. Is that dead? And is the future just more Taylor Swift's? I think it's both. I think it's a barbell, right? Um, I think the big get bigger, and then you have this long tail of people making a living for themselves, independent creators. We all know many. We're all, we're all sitting with one. So I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Yeah, I think that, and I don't even know that there's a relationship between the two. I think that, you know, what I'm seeing is sort of this fragmentation in the influencer, or the, the micro celebrity or the YouTuber, or the social media star space. Whereas if you think back to 10 years ago, YouTube was sort of picking winners and they, they quite literally put YouTubers up on billboards saying this person, mm. Tyler Oakley represents us as a platform. We worked there and did that work. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> I had the top 100 list and we did deals with them. Yeah. yeah. I, I had one of those deals. Great deal. And, <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I appreciate that. And, um, and I think that and jump in, but like what it felt like was by picking winners, they're really siloing what this platform is. Mm. And as YouTube stopped being this niche thing and became this all encompassing, just sort of tidal wave, this is what where, where video lives on the internet. It was important that it become much more fragmented. So yeah, there are celebrities that bake pies. The best pie YouTuber is out there somewhere. And that person has a strong following and can do really well, like that very, very well. And that's, that's the difference is that it, 10 years ago, if you weren't one of those people at the top, you really couldn't, there was no middle class. And we're seeing now a middle class of celebrity, of influencer, of creator. But is it even fair to call the middle? I mean, this is a question I have is like, I totally agree with the, the dumbbell effect. And I think you have the, you know, the people that everyone knows and everyone follows and have hundreds of million and like, whatever it's like becomes far. You can go to any bar or restaurant and talk about like, Oh yeah, I know that person. We're saying common to talk about. And then there's your niche, more vertical specific people. They might have a few million followers or more. You want to call them the middle class, but like a lot of them are making like millions of dollars a year. Yeah. I wouldn't call them the middle class, but yeah, I, I think that like, you're able to identify your audience yeah. in a much more specific way. And I think that what people are doing is they're abandoning this idea of having to be the universal creator. Universal appeal is almost taboo. If everybody likes you, you're probably doing something wrong or you're just average. Can so, I what, so what's the Jimmy, like talk about Jimmy then, okay. right? Because I think like you talk about universal appeal and creators, like again, I, he is not universal. Oh, wait, explain, Mr. wait, Beast. Mr. Beast, how many followers does he have now? Two hundred million, two hundred million, I think. Okay, like just to ground people but, who don't yeah, know who Jimmy is. I got one to bring full circle. Every video he posts does more views than the Super Bowl will do this year with Taylor Swift. He will do more views with every video he posts. And doesn't he reinvest most of the capital he earns yeah, from his video back into the next sure. video? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, so, not the next video. I mean, th at this point, he can invest in a lot of other stuff too. Yeah, uh, but his whole enterprise—a I mean, lot of money for video, like as much as a television show. Much more, yeah. much, much more. But again, he has more viewers than the Super Bowl. He's not How spending the Super How often does he make a video? I think he he's been cranking them lately, but a I lot. think like more than once a month, maybe once bi biweekly. Seems perhaps. like it's every two weeks. Yeah. yeah. So the question I was going to ask with him, though, and you think about this, like that you don't have to appeal to everyone. Is like he appeals to a huge number huge. of people, right? And like, is that I know there's a lot of aspiring Mr. Beasts in the world, right? And the question is, is like, is that a one of one? You know, is that a thing that is actually a path? Or you know, you know, how do you think? I, mean, about I, think, that? I think it looks like it looks like this. And Jimmy, if you're watching this, which would be amazing, um, <laughs> forgive this. Come on the pod. Forgive this comparison, but like, 
McDonald's is a restaurant that you've never met someone in your life who hasn't eaten there, or at least knows of that restaurant. It is ubiquitous. It is everywhere. Like I go and my kids get that and I get like a fucking milkshake. I get good. Like everybody has something for everyone and it's everywhere. And there's still plenty of room for all of those other sort of franchisee restaurants that are also huge underneath that. And I think that that's what he's achieved is he is that broad. But it that, sounds like you're saying that's a bit of the older model. No, I think that like we started this out by your barbell comparison and saying, you know, there's the Taylor Swift's of the world. What does that mean for the rest of creators? And I think it just means they both get to exist. Yeah. But the the latter, the prior didn't used to exist. There was no middle class. There was no such thing as a small creator that was actually viable. And that viability now is really strong. Can I ask a question for both of you? I mean, Ricky, you are running partnerships for Meta. Not, not running. Sorry, sorry. But, You're in the partnership yeah. team at Meta. I don't want to get anyone canceled here. And then, of course, Casey, as a creator, how has fandom shifted over the last few years? And is is it headed in a direction you love as a creator? Like, is it more stalkerish than ever before? I think it's gone more to communities. And, and I'll give an example a media example that I, I know very well. So College Humor started 24 years ago, right? Ricky started College Humor for those of you who don't This, know. and I have no economic interest in it. I'm just a you know, proud papa type of role. This year will be more profitable than it's ever been in its life. Wow. And the reason is because Sam Reich, who has been running the business for the past few years, he said, I'm going to go narrow. I'm going to focus on like, mm. focus on a core poor group and they're going to pay money because they're fans, even though they can get a, if they wanted to get a pirated video, they could. And the number of subscribers, I'm not going to say would blow your mind. And they're paying, I think like six bucks a month or something like that for, for comedy video content. And what just happened was we, you know, we were the biggest comedy brand in the world on YouTube and stuff. And we tried to appeal to everybody and we had a big audience, but like we weren't as profitable as they are now. And, and it's just, it's interesting that this is happening it doesn't happen that much in media, but there are exa- people always cite the information. They cite Ben Thompson, and then they kind of run out of examples, you know. Um, but it's just to to have another one that just mm-hmm. like focus on your core and build a community. And a lot of people, it's like kind of like the the public radio model. Like people will often pay just to say they're part of the yeah. club, right? Even without the tote, bag. even without the tote bag, they just want to like the say bags. they're a say they're a supporter. So I, I think fandom is crystallizing like that. Yeah, I would, I would absolutely further that. I think a, a great example for me, one that's very close to home, is my older brother, who's you know seven years, so he's fifty, and he is one of the most brilliant artists uh, you know I've, I've ever experienced. But he's very like he is a very intellectual, very smart. Very, he's fifty years old. He's not a kid sitting on the edge of his bed talking about gossip. And you know, five years ago we had this discussion. He wasn't sure where to take his career as an artist and as a filmmaker and as a sort of a thought leader. And I was like, become a YouTuber. And he's like, no, no, no. Are you fucking nuts? Like, I'm no, I'm like an old, like I don't fit into that world. And I was like, no, no, no. there's an audience for you. Yeah. And as long as you don't stop, you will find that audience. And he is by, you know, millions of sub- subscribers. He's a, he's a, he has a very sort of, I think he has a half a million subscribers, which is nothing to shake a stick at, but the living that he's able to make off of that half a million subscribers, he has a Patreon channel. Because his audience, which is primarily male-leaning Gen Xers, older, much older, they see him as this unique, entirely like standing alone on a pedestal intellect, like this this voice that they that they relate to so well. 
that they don't find anywhere else that they want to support him in any way they can. And with tools like Patreon, he's able to embrace that and, and build around that. But I don't think that he could have found success 10 or 15 years ago. Um, and I think that we're going to see more people like him into well, the future. It's also, I mean, one analogy I always like to, to draw on this is if you think about, you know, forget making money for a second, but just like sense of purpose and meaning mm. and like, you know, what, who are you? Like sense of identity. You know, I always say like, you know, a generation ago, you could be the best basketball player in your local town. And that was a thing. You're like, I'm the basketball guy. And like, that's sweet. And like the problem with the internet and, you know, social media, et cetera, is it opened up a world like, oh my God, I'm actually not that good at basketball. Right. And actually there's like a lot of people who are way better than basketball. And I can't be the local basketball guy in a physical space. Sure. Right. And so what, that got blown away and people were super sad because all of a sudden they're like, oh shit, like the thing that was my thing is not my thing anymore. And so what's ended up happening, and I think this is actually very healthy in a lot of ways, He's like, well, physical space or the community can't define my uniqueness and value anymore. Instead, it's going to have to be my voice. It's going to have to be I have my audience. It might be geographically dispersed, but, but it's going to be. It can, I can find exactly those people and just be me. Now, I think there are some liabilities to this, right? For society, right? Like you kind of need the Taylor Swifts that we can all agree on and like have some context to talk about with each other, etc. But I do think that like it's you know as much as it was sad that you can't be the best basketball player anymore. It is kind of the kind of recovery in my mind that people are finding ways to support themselves, their voices, and like kind of embracing that more and more. Yeah. Can I ask a question about the, I guess, the other side of this, which I've noticed recently that a lot of, I don't, very large YouTubers are actually quitting. Um, there seems to be a, a trend in this. Um, and I don't know if it's a self-perpetuating trend or what's going on. Is it on. like a Selena Gomez quit? Because even I know about that. No, it's, yeah. it's like, no, it, it, it's actually like some of these guys that are real. doing like big science videos. I, I noticed it real. because my son really loves engineering videos and science videos. And there's some people that are, you know, have big audiences in this realm. And they've just kind of said, you know, like this has gotten to be too much. Like I can't, we can't produce the content at the speed that I need to, to keep up with the algorithm. And I don't know what, there seems to be a lot to unpack there. And I'm just curious, <laughs> Casey, like what, what you think is going on. Yeah. I mean like Tom Scott, who is a fantastic YouTuber and he's kind of in that space, very big channel, very thoughtful guy. He just announced that he's, he's sort of giving up YouTube. You know, I think it's, I don't think it's any one reason, but I think, do think it's a confluence of factors. And I think I'm, I'm victim of some of those factors as well. I attribute my ability to navigate them better than some to the fact that I was kind of mature in the space before I embraced YouTube. You know, I had a TV show on HBO that I starred in 10 years before I really found success on YouTube. I was, I'd mature, I was mature when I entered the space. But, you know, for, some, for a lot of these creators, their, their passion or their reason why they're there typically, like, is not the fame, not the celebrity of it. It's the desire to create. It's the desire to share meaningful stuff. And there's all these secondary and tertiary aspects and things that come along with being a creator that are wildly burdensome. And some are technical, like the fact that, you know, maintaining up, like it's undeniable. If you maintain consistent uploads, you will grow. And if you don't, you will not grow. I do not upload consistently. Like my, my subscriber count, which would used to grow at, you know, um, hundreds of thousands a month has been stagnant. Like since I stopped, I still do great views, but it's been stagnant. And that burden is extremely heavy. Did you stop intentionally? Yeah, I stopped just because I, I stopped caring, not caring about the content 
not that I don't care about the content. I do, I do incredibly care about the content and not care about my audience. I care very much about that. I stopped caring about the growth. I stopped caring about that, that ambition to be bigger. Was there a point where you felt the daily pressure in, in, in a way that was like, I, I couldn't, I think for me, and this is just speaking about me, I was extremely naive to the fame aspect of it. Mm. Like there is no fame like YouTube fame, like internet fame. The best example of this is a friend of mine has a, a TV show on um, MTV called Catfish. And he and I, when Catfish was at like its peak and I was making YouTube videos every day, we'd go for runs together and people would go like, oh, he's the dude from Catfish. And then they'd go, oh, Casey Neistat, how's your wife, Candace? How's Francine, your little daughter? I would say you cannot walk down a block in New York City without someone stopping Casey or saying hi to Casey. It's that, actually, that's how, it's wild. It, it is really wild. I've spent you know, time on you know, some different famous people in my life, and Casey's the one by far who gets stopped the most. And it's different. I have friends that are actors, and, and, and it's like, oh, I loved you in that movie. I don't, they don't know an yeah. actor. I fucking love Brad Pitt in Fight Club. I don't know what he's like in real life. I loved him on Dave. I thought he was great on Dave. <laughs> that, that should be a great breath, by the way. There is this, there is this entitlement, which is a dirty word, and I don't mean it to be negative. Because I, I think it's, an, I think it's not intentionally negative. I don't think it's intentionally malicious. But there is this sense of entitlement. I watch you, Mr. Beast. Every video you post, I bought your sweatshirt. I buy your chocolate. Mm. I do all that. You owe me. I, Interesting. To, to be on the receiving end of that, I is mean, it for heavy? Me, for me, I'm like, you know, by the time I achieved that kind of fame, which was never, I never sounds silly to say, but I never signed up for that. I loved it until that hit. And I was like, what is this? Mm. I was a dad. I'm like, a, was a, you know, almost a 40 year old dad. And I was like, I don't want any of this. How have you dealt with it? And this is the craziest thing to say. And very few people get this, but like, I have to be in New York city. It's the only place where I feel sane. New Yorkers respect it on a level. They say hi like they know you, and that's it. Do you think that's why Taylor being in New York? It could be like New Yorkers don't give a shit. Like somebody's funny tweeted the other day, like everybody in New York's famous. Why should I give a shit about you? <laughs> and there's such beauty to that. Um, when you leave, like we had this is a weird story I've never told publicly. We had a little house in Connecticut, Candace and I, like in this kind of like very middle class town. It was a house we bought that was near the beach, and it was like two hundred eighty thousand bucks. So it was a very like the rich people of the town. They were like the dentist and the guy that owned the cat, the tire shop lived next to us. We loved it there. And when this internet fame kicked in, it just kept precipitating and precipitating. And then I remember the final straw was after my daughter was born at nine 30 at night, there was a knock at the door, like an aggressive knock. And like Candace goes upstairs with the baby. I'm like, got a baseball bat and I like cautiously open the door and it's a woman standing there. And she's like, can you take a picture with my son? Oh my God. And I was like, this is unbelievable. You woke my newborn daughter. This is so inappropriate. This is such a violation. And she was like, oh, come on, Case. We're from around here. We're from around here. We know you. And it was like, I don't blame her. Like, I think that she wasn't doing it to be mean. She thought that was totally fine. And in New York City, it's, it's, it's you know, people get it. But no, I don't deal with it well. I have this like... I, I mean, I'm fucking just railroading our conversation right now. But I have this like... The people that I admire the most are like the Quentin Tarantinos or the Tom Hanks or like Steve Carell, who's got to be one of the most, I've watched every episode of The Office 50 times. Like if he's not out promoting a movie, if Quentin Tarantino doesn't have a new movie that he needs you to know, like, where's that guy? Who's he dating? Where does he live? What is he up to? I have no idea. 
And that is such an amazing thing that they can do their craft, which necessitates them being public figures without having to step into that murky world of, of fame and gossip. I think one thing, you know, we talk about parasocial relationships and I feel like, like they exist with YouTube for sure. But I have to imagine podcasters have that to a degree that other more more so than other forms of entertainers, because you are in people's ears, you are with them in their home as you're with them in their car. You you are you know it's like you're in the movie Her. You know, and I'd be I'd be curious if like already or as your podcast gets bigger, if, if people start having conversations with you as if. You already know them. But actually, it, so it's they funny. At, at the current scale, it's actually really cool, like, yeah. I think, is the dynamic. Because right now, like, in, I think, the Silicon Valley e-world, especially at people that are, like, two degrees removed, or people have met us, we have met them once, or something, it seems like a lot of people are listening to it. And so you'll see someone, like, you know, I thought of you because I was listening to your podcast, and I wanted to, like, pitch you this deal. Yeah. Or, like, hey, like, we have a friend, Adrian, who every time he sees me, he's like, Sam, I listen to the, every single episode, I love it. You're so wrong about everything, and I'm biking. <laughs> I'm always biking and listening to you. I get so angry because I'm like, oh, I have to tell Sam he's wrong about this. And then I finish my bike and I forget you were wrong about, right? Like, <laughs> it's actually great right now for that kind of relationship because it is kind of this extension with a lot of people you love, but you don't get to talk to all the time. But if they want to listen, it's there for them, and you kind of get it's, it actually creates moments. But I can imagine that that's because of the way this works right now, and maybe it won't always work that way. I'm curious about people like like Joe Rogan, love him or hate him. His numbers are 50 million. It's in the tens of millions. He's thousands of episodes, and his episodes are three hours long. So if you're if you have that in your ear, three hours a day for ten years, it's not that you think you know him. You very literally know him. You know his mannerisms, his inflections. You know how he thinks, how he laughs. You know everything about this guy who doesn't know you exist. So when he enters the real world, whether that's coming to Jackson Hole to ski, Zakeski, or walking down the street in Austin, Texas, or wherever, whatever he's doing, that is what he's surrounded. Like, how do you maintain sanity with that lopsided of a relationship with all of humanity? Mm. Uh, our our brains are not. If you think about evolution, right? We would never like. We would never meet, or we would never not meet someone that we knew about, right? Like we all kind of live in the yes. same villages. Yeah. And, yeah. and so biologically, when people, you'll, you'll see it, when people go up to a famous people, they short circuit. You know, when pe- people go up to like a famous person, like, like Casey, like it's kind of like they don't know what to do. And, I, and I, I bet that you have techniques that you've developed to help them get through that short circuiting. Oh, I'm so good at it. <laughs> I'm so good what at it. What do you do? I tried to once quantify how much of my life I've taken back by with this one simple trip. Oh, I think I know what you're going to say. I watched you do this. Yeah. This is a great story. Okay. All anybody wants is the selfie. Number one, don't ever wait for them to ask. The minute they're approaching, give me your phone with a smile. And then like they're diffused and they're ready to go. And then number two, I always take the picture. Like there's no one on, on earth that's taking more selfies than me. <laughs> like, or I'm up there. You know what I mean? Like, uh, no, I, I she she no, took selfies on her movie premiere. Okay, good for her. Like, <laughs> I don't think she's fucking selfies on the gondola today. Like, so no matter what phone you give me, no matter what year Android it is, no matter what phone, 
I can get it to the selfie camera from a lock screen without knowing the <laughs> password. Faster, faster than you can figure out what you're doing there. And I take the picture and it's back in their hand. And then they're like, there's nothing else I want from you right now. Mm-hmm. And then they walk away. And it's a very equitable transaction. They got something. They're psyched. Yeah, he's really nice. We took a selfie. What did you guys talk about? They're like, actually, we didn't really. <laughs> it was like a blur. So like that's like something that is like it's it's a little bit of like reclaiming. We should ask you about like Android market share in various places based on. <laughs> I know. <laughs> My favorite is like these, and this is why like I'm obsessed with this topic. But like these really young kids, like 15 to 17 year olds in New York, they come up with flip phones. Oh really? Yeah, I've heard about this. Which kind of flip phone? Yeah, like go to Verizon and they have an area in the store for really old people. With like four phones. That, I love it. I'm trying. This is great news. I want to know what Casey does when confronted with a flip phone. Well, first of all, I immediately like the person. <laughs> I want to know them, and I want them in my life in some capacity. And I have the whole conversation. Are you on social media? It's like I have an account. And it's like, how often do you check Instagram? It's like I don't know. And it's like I think it's private, and like they have just no interest in it. And the way they look at us, like millennia older. We're older millennials, but millennials is like, why would you want to put it all out there? And for me, it's like, there's something in that. Cause I'm of the generation, which is like, you put everything out there. Like there's nothing more treasured than the validation of a double click on your picture. <laughs> and these kids have rejected it wholesale. Mm. Like they're going to show that like one third of one megapixel flip phone photo of me. And they're going to show it to like six people and they're going to show it to my young, like, Check that out. <laughs> yeah. Like that one, the power to send it. What's interesting about that statement is that they still know YouTube. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that's this is a different. They have computers, Dave. Yeah, different. Yeah. No, I just don't have computers. They have computers and a flip phone. Uh, and also, Casey's fame goes beyond YouTube. Yeah. But, but you guys, you guys, we all have little kids. Like, my kids don't differentiate what source yeah. the content's coming from. Yeah, sure. To them, there's no distinction between Disney Plus, YouTube, and Netflix. There's no distinction between TV, like, you know, like, yeah. on a screen versus in their hand. Like, to them, it's just content. It's all the same. It's just this rectangle, and it delivers me content. And I think that's true for kind of anyone younger than us. What about TikTok? Both, like, in terms of trends, and we'll give Sam his 30-second talking point. In every episode. I agree with every word you say on TikTok, Sam. I'm sorry, Jessica. Is, or as a platform for you as a creator, is it important? Do you use it? I don't really use it. I consume it like a junkie. Um, it's incredible. It does like really destroys your brain in a way that is palpable. I think that what they've done that no one talks about is they've created the single greatest video creation tool, tool set that anyone's ever done. The sorts of tools that I was telling YouTube you need to build for years, the sorts of tools that like Instagram's trying to catch up with and is still eons behind. Reels is like, not reels, what's the YouTube shorts? It's like, what are you doing? Like yours feels like a 90s version of what they've built. It's a flip phone version. It's a flip phone, but like, but that creation tool, which nobody puts any emphasis on, it means anyone can create anything. You want a green screen, you want digital effects, you want VFX, you want access to the best music, you want it to look like this, you want different kids. You can do anything with that. And there's not enough emphasis on that, but I think that's like a phenomenal driver. It lets people express themselves creatively without the burden of having to know how to to operate the tools that typically stood in the way. That's the only part of TikTok that I like to talk about and that I praise. Because my beef with TikTok, I think, can probably be summed up as 
I don't think it's a it's a platform for creativity. I think it's a platform for sensationalism, um, all the way through and through. The entire way you consume it, the way you interact with it, it is it has to be sensational to catch your eye, or you go straight past it. Mm. Got it. And I'll just make my part, which is all that aside. It's a huge national security risk. <laughs> I agree. It's Chinese spyware, and it should go away immediately. <laughs> um, and what about AI for both of you? So. I mean, maybe Casey, as a filmmaker and creator, how do you think about AI as creating a shit ton of potentially competitive content and then also as a tool for you? As a tool for me, and this is not like a neo-Luddite perspective, I think it's not, I, I, I don't know a use case where it's going to help me in a practical sense. I don't. I also like have no affinity for any technology. I want the technology out of the way. All of my videos are just straight cuts, which is the same way that they cut movies a hundred years ago. They use tape, and I use Control T. Mm-hmm. Like it's the same thing. So I don't care. Like as a creator, for me, it's uninteresting. Broadly, I think that it's going to just steamroll the bottom ninety percent of creators because the bottom ninety percent of creators make content that's either. You know, it's made to look like someone else's. They're sort of trying to emulate someone else. They don't know what to do. And it's just mediocre work. That's why, you know, it is what it is. And I think that AI can replace all that immediately. But what I think it does do is it elevates people who have a true perspective. And I think that elevation is going to be quick and strong and extremely meaningful. When AI co-ops so much of news sources, where can you turn that you know you can trust it? I trust that individual, that person. And when that happens with creativity, it's like, I think AI made this song. But then like, if you see Drake and he's like, nah, it's my song, you have a greater appreciation for that. So for me as a creator, it's like, no, this is like a blessing. This is fantastic. It's going to like get all the noise out of there. And it's going to force me to focus on the one thing that I can do uniquely because I have a unique perspective. Just like, you know, every, you know, musician or, or filmmaker or photographer who has a unique perspective, they will be valued more because everything else is going to turn to mush. And Ricky, if you were like starting College Humor today with AI as exists, would you do anything differently? I'd probably use it as a tool. And, I, you know, in the, being in the partnerships org, like we think about how to empower creators with AI. So, you know, an example, my colleague, the wonderful Eva Chen, who's a, a big fashion person and a, and a great person, you know, she gets asked the same question 10 times a day, which is like, which Apple watch band do you have? Right. Cause everyone sees it and they, and they want to know. And like, she doesn't have time to respond to everybody and you would leave some fans hanging and not to, they want the question answered. It's not answered, but like with AI, like you can solve that problem. And the, the viewer can get their question answered. Eva can uh, gain uh, uh, maybe another fan or, or viewer. And it's like, and it's a win-win, you know, and of course the viewer knows that it's an AI that's responding because Eva is, you know, so those type of things that we look at and think like, what are the pain points for creators now? And how does AI solve those rather than some like wholesale reimagining of the entire ecosystem, that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, it's interesting because I think the tooly type stuff, like the totally, like I know it's not real, just transactional, the, the FAQ of UHN, right? makes total sense, right? And like, fine, you make it a little bit better. I think there is value in that. The funny thing to me about what he's saying is like, it just feels to me like in every step, it is a flood the zone thing, which is washes away values. Like take like, 
you know, take special effects. Star Wars, unbelievable, right? Like, it's like an amazing moment of like, now it's like, we're all just like completely desensitized to it. It's irrelevant. Like, no one even cares. It's like, yes, it's like more AI stuff, right? I mean, like, you know, more FDFX. I think it's the same thing with like, interestingly, with one-on-one chat conversations is if you think about it, like right now, I just went through an experience with this when I was you know, working on the Harvard Overseer stuff that I've been working on, where it's like the unbelievable power of personal outreach, right? It's unbelievable power because it's expensive because like, oh my God, you actually did the outreach. Like that is a huge engine. The second is like, I think this is fake, right? Then like you just wash that all out. Mm-hmm. It was like, ah, oh, it's just more like personal stuff, like whatever. And so like, I do think it's, like, it's an interesting thing of just like washing out spots of value and then where that kind of reoccurs, assuming that AI, you know, the same thing with like, you know, we can't trust images, the, mm-hmm. the effects I'm totally desensitized to, I'm going to get desensitized to one-on-one conversations. It's all just stuff, right? But what, what about an AI gets so good that you can't tell? Well, then, then, then the problem becomes actually, the biggest problem becomes that when you actually do want to invest and have that conversation, you can't, the, the proof of humanness becomes impossible. But right? what if it's yeah. one to many? So if like, you know, I've, told you guys I've been playing with this new thing called Heijin, which has raised a lot of venture capital funding. And I made an AI avatar of me talking like me, inflections like me, all the things. It's not perfect yet, but it's like 60% there. It's going to get closer. And if I want to do like a one-to-many just like demo video of something that I'm showing how to do or like explaining how to start a business to a group of female founders, like I just, Would they I think, know? I think at scale, it will completely devalue your ability to do that with value because you'll just be like, eh, it's just more AI pretty stuff. Now, now you but they wouldn't know it's AI pretty stuff. They will actually oversample because once you realize it's possible, you're just going to just assume that it's all fake, right? And I think that will create this really weird dynamic where the authenticity, the real, maybe it becomes in person. Maybe the flip phone kids are like, no, no, I want to hang out with Brit in person because like, I just like, I, I get that there's, it's just even when you're like actually being authentic and telling a story and investing in this, if it looks too real, you're just like, yeah. but to Ricky's point, like sometimes they just want answers on how to do well, something and they want to talk in They just say, "Here's my FAQ." The like, transactional version, I'm totally down with. It's like, what, what is this? What? Fine. Like, you know, like I need an, a specific answer. I think it's more like right now we use our investment and our personalities and like who we are. Like, you know, when you say, like, I'm going to have a meeting with someone, I'm going to call you. That's actually, like, you putting chips on the table. Like, that's a personal investment. And then people are like, oh, because you invested, I'll invest with you. And there's a dynamic there. And second, like, I'm not actually putting chips on the table. It's just, like, free stuff, right? Because it's AI-based. I think it creates this weird thing where, like, the problem might be that it works for a little while. And then everyone's just, like, the, the, like VFX are just blind to it. Hmm. I don't well, know. This is a good Sam Brett debate. I like it. <laughs> so virtual Brett. But like, not a hundred percent virtual Brit, but supplementing AI Brit with real Brit. I think that I think and a lot of creators are going to do this. I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think? I, I, I mean, I think sure. I think you know the ones in a transactional capacity, but I think the totality of it is going to be nearly impossible for this generation to overcome. So you said it's not a hundred percent you, but it's sixty percent you. So maybe in two years they'll get to be like eighty percent you. And then they'll get it to 90%, then 95%, then 97%. They're never going to close that gap. And a good example of that is YouTube and YouTubers. Like our bullshit sensors have gotten so refined because 90% of the 99%, they're full of shit. I'm watching them talk about how much they fucking love their job or how much they like this or how much they enjoy like whatever thing they're promoting. I can see the bullshit 
through the screen, I can see the bullshit. And as to Sam's point, like if you flood it, our bullshit sensors just become more and more refined. And like now in the real world, largely because of going back to like this celebrity and fame, my own bullshit sensor for people is so refined that my personality has changed in the last five years. I've gone from being a gregarious, open person. I am so skeptical of everyone because I can tell as you're approaching me that you're full of shit. And I might be wrong. You're been wrong. I've definitely oversampled. But like I've become so refined at that because I've had so many facial, so many faces in my face. I've had so many of these interactions, way more than any human should ever have, that my bullshit sensor is so refined. And I think ultimately we put such value on true human-to-human interactions that we're just going to get better at. Well, and the less cynical love. version, the cynical version, which I think does really back to this TikTok thing, is the pure dopamine, it doesn't matter. Right? So if you just the pure dopamine hit the, right? Like, it's just that TikTok. sensational the TikTok. You're like, I don't even care if it's real or not. It's just fucking funny. Fine. Right? But then that, that really pulls apart those two it, Look, you do really interesting things for the porn space. We've already talked about that. I'm just going to leave. I, I think that educational content. Great example. Cooking videos. Great example. Like DIY video. That is can be AI and people won't care because they want the. I want to see how they baked the pie. I don't fucking more. care if she's AI or not. Totally. Like, but you also don't even care. Like, so just, but that's a big portion of what's on YouTube and what's on Instagram, and what's on TikTok. Yeah, and so I do think about. like a lot of those creators, yeah, will. Well, I don't know if they'll be wiped out or they are supplementing with AI to grow their following in their channels in other yeah. ways, right? Yeah, or it's like you know, there's so many chefs out there. Why do we like Gordon Ramsay? Like, what is it about? I don't know that he's a better cook than so I've never, he's never cooked for me, but I watch all of his shows. They're great. Why? He represents like a kind of humanity that I subscribe to. Him, that guy. Not because of, I think a good, an interesting thing too is what's the, what's the like FaceTime call on the new Apple ski goggles? <laughs> the vision. Oh, that's vision what, I think that's what it's called. So yeah. everybody, <laughs> and like everybody's shitting on it. And I saw somebody took a really interesting take because, you know, they create this uncanny cartoon version of yourself. And then that's what they will report. Like they'll send that to zoom being like, this is our video feed. And it's not, it's this fake version of you. And I would rather have like Sam in his car with his phone right here. Where I see half of his face and he's driving. I'd rather have that than this perfect cartoon fake version of him. But I, that's not Sam. Well, it's also no information. It's like, it's, it's There's information no, destroyed. That's destroyed. exactly right. It's like, I think what it comes down to is like, it's it's when you abstract all this stuff and it all starts looking the same, right? You basically, it becomes this war of attrition where like, there's no information in any of it, mm-hmm. right? Which is why I'm much the, the more raw. So I think to your football point, I really think that even for, it might be even beyond like the cool kids, I think that this thing where obviously the world will be flooded with the content. Obviously, there's some transactional value to it. I'm not saying, but I could totally imagine this like steampunk future, right? Where everyone's just like, you know, like, fuck it. Like, we're going to like, you know, read paper newspapers and, you know, whatever. Most of the. I'm joking. (laughs) I do. You might be able to sell some paper. Sam, once a year, he's like, I got a brilliant idea for the information. (laughs) When When I do titles, like for my videos, like one of my favorite things to do is just film a piece of paper and I'm writing it because like anyone can create it can take a font face. Anyone can click a button in any app and have it animate. And it means nothing to anyone. Think about the success of like dude with sign, right? Yeah, exactly. Put forth For example. the effort 
to write it on a piece of cardboard and hold it up. And, and, or like how many times you'll see a photo of something clever written on a coffee board, a coffee house sign outside the shop. Like, like you could just tweet it, but no, there's something about like, well, it's social economics. It's basically people like there's a whole economy of how much did you actually invest in something? And therefore, how do I interact with it? Which people to, to Casey's point, I think, are subconsciously unbelievably sophisticated at, right? And so the more you understand that, and that's why I think the AI stuff is so interesting because you basically just like basically take a bunch of stuff that was expensive and make it so cheap that no one cares about it. Yeah, I had a lecture that I used to give called Perfection Erases Humanity. And it was largely directed at CGI when it was exploding a dozen years ago, which is that we can now make everything perfect, everything perfect. And in that perfection, there's no sign of the human hand. And therefore, our relationship with it starts well, to fall apart. And for us, I think like Tom Cruise with his crazy stunts, I think that's actually part of the story there. Like, the whole story is always Tom Cruise does all these crazy fucking stunts and learns all this stuff to do. And you know what? That does make the movies more compelling because then you watch like Aquaman and it's just like overwhelming bullshit, right? Yeah, embrace the limitations of the real world. Like the behind the scenes three minute video of him launching that motorcycle yeah, off that so was infinitely superior. And to the final shot in the movie where they painted out the ramp and they made it, that was CGI. I didn't believe it. I didn't trust it. I had nothing invested in that. When I watched that three minute trailer, I was like, holy shit, Tom Cruise is a madman and I love every second of him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, we got to slowly wrap it. We got to bring things to a close. Now, let's end with a pop culture corner. We've kind of oh. all been pop culture corner. PCC. Here, but a PCC. Yeah. You, Brett, you've got two lieutenants here. <gasps> So I think every PCC, we try to just plant a nugget, some recommendation, something you are intrigued by, something you think the audience should be paying attention to. Am I asking them for their PCC? No, you got, you're all. I'm, we're asking you all. I think I'm just being excluded. Yeah. <laughs> Sam is never part Dave, of the you PCC. You are welcome to participate. Sam. I learned about a water bottle, Sam but I don't know what I'm supposed to say about it. Okay. Well, the Grammys are happening this weekend. And this episode will be released by then. So I would like to know if there are any hot takes or predictions on what's going to happen at the Grammys. Taylor is performing, by the way. I have no... Are you talking to us? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to give us a hot take no, on I pop culture. No Does anyone watch the Grammys? Everyone's so focused on the Super Bowl. All right. The Grammys is How, like, I'll give you a... Softer, softer ball. I agree She's with Sam. I agree with Sam. When I saw she was performing, I was like, oh, it's like kind of below. It's here. kind of day class A. Yeah, absolutely. All right, softball. Niners versus Chiefs. Who wins? Do you watch football? Uh, uh, yes, I don't. I think, like, who are you watching? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I think, like, you want like the storybook ending yeah. and that is the chiefs winning oh. yeah chiefs by six Never. by six okay because i mean think about it this way like any couple you know that's been together a few months the chance <laughs> of them breaking up in the next two weeks is like i don't know five percent there's a zero percent chance <laughs> that this couple breaks up like so like it's almost like destined to end that way well i think it also goes beyond the taylor thing it's like the mahomes you know, Kelsey are thing. Are you turning up Purdy? What are you doing? <laughs> well, the Mahomes-Kelsey thing is a really amazing story, right? Like, we haven't seen something like this maybe since Montana Rice. Like, it's a really amazing story. I think everybody wants it to have the storybook ending. Purdy's new. I think 
he's it's a great Cinderella story. You know, it would be awesome if Purdy won. But he's also got a lot of years ahead of him, right? I'm definitely a 49ers fan. <laughs> but I do think that the, the, the sort of Mahomes-Kelsey story, it seems like Kelsey might retire pretty soon. You know, it could be the last hurrah. I do love that I literally just had a moment where I understood about a third of the words. <laughs> That's all. Sam, this segment is for you, actually. It's not even for the audience. It's just for you. And it's more meaningful because it's not an AI teaching me about pop culture. <laughs> yes. you know, sure. Humanity. Human. Teacher. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Thank for yeah, thanks, for this, thanks for this strawberry. Yeah. yeah. Hey, <laughs> you can take two if you want when you leave. You were extra awesome today. So we also want to thank our audience for tuning in every week, for watching. I got a plug. For coming actually, up to us and talking to us. Try to remember what you're going to yell at me about. <laughs> I also have to plug, actually, apropos of this combo, this week the information announced the dates for our Creator Economy Summit, ah. uh, one of our biggest events of the year in Los Angeles. And I believe I saw an Instagram from our team that our early bird tickets are almost out. But anyway, giving us a lot of good fun. Oh, and Thanks this, this episode is brought to you by Unicorn Picnic. And Shred, and two Shred. of our friends who also, who have awesome outdoor ski and winter athletic brands. Lindsay yeah, the Dyer Shred goggles are actually, picnic. you know, people have been asking us for more gear reviews yeah, as well. Oh, yeah, we're starting to What Ted Ligeti has done with Shred is really cool. Like, they worked with MIT, they used some AI, they figured out a new goggles lens that really does work in low light and works in bright light. And you only need one lens, which I think is a really cool new innovation. Sam wears them. Yeah. I do. Although he would, yeah. I was almost banned from running today because I looked too silly. When are we going to get affiliate links for our show notes? We need to get on that. Yeah, we have a lot to get on. Yeah. Long to do list. Thank you guys for being here. Thanks for having us. See you guys next week on More or Less. See ya. Bye -bye. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this show, please leave us a virtual high five by rating it and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Find more information about each episode in the show notes and follow us on social media by searching for at more or less at Dave Morin at lesson at J lesson. And as for me, I'm at Brit. See you guys next time.